I'm Nicole Wakeland. And I'm Eileen Falkenberg-Hull. And this is Fast Women, brought to you by Newsweek. We travel the world, stay in the best hotels, drive the newest cars, and have off-the-beaten-path adventures. And we're going to tell you all about it. Let's buckle up and hit the road. Let's hit the road. Angry Eileen. Damn it. Hit the road. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hey, everyone. Let's talk about performance players. That's our podcast title because they told us we had to come up with a title. That worked for you, Eileen? That works for me. Let's talk about performance players. Okay. Which one do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about the BMW 4 Series. I think that's one of our new favorites, I think, between both of us, right? Yes. And I drove it as a convertible, which is insane because it's New Hampshire and there's roughly 27 minutes a year that we can drive convertibles here. (laughs) Did you drive it in the snow or did you drive it when it was actually like nice outside? Miraculously, I drove it when it was nice outside, although I have had my share of cars that were uh, convertibles that I drove in the snow and I flipped the top down and had pictures of me wrapped up in like a hat and a jacket and everything else in the driveway with snowbanks taller than the car. But no, the BMW 4 Series, I actually drove that when it was sunny and beautiful and the appropriate weather. Okay, so what do you like about it and what do you hate about it because I know that the grill is like tremendously controversial, right? That it's it's that bucky, buck tooth sort of like. I'm sorry, BMW. I love you and I love your cars, but I don't like that new grill. That's what I hate about it. It looks like two giant beaver teeth that they just stuck on the front of the car. And I know people say like, oh no, you just have to embrace the new design. No, I don't. I don't have to embrace it. I don't like it. I like everything else about the design. I mean, if I could just, if I could like hold up my hand when I look at the front and just kind of look through one eye sideways and then not have to look of the grill, then I love it. And the thing was, when I had it, people commented on it. It's a striking car. It really is beautiful. But they also said, that's really beautiful. But man, that BMW grill, like randos at the grocery store and, you know, running errands. So that's, that's my big complaint. Do you like the grill? Are you a fan of the two beaver teeth in the front? So I had what one might term as an adverse reaction to it at first, um, which, you know me, so there were probably expletives and, and, and things like that flying out of my mouth in, in instant judgment. I'm very good at that. And um, so then, you know, I lived with it, right? So I had uh, the coupe. I've had the Grand Coupe and I haven't driven the convertible. It's better in darker colors, right? So I saw one at the airport I thought you were going to say it was better in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so I saw one at the airport yesterday and it was parked. And it was facing me, teeth out from the parking space. And I went past it. And it was black with black grill surround, you know, black louvers. And I was like, that's not terrible. I saw them in Germany when I was there. And the way that the Germans do the front plate, they put it in such a position where you're like, oh, this is what they meant to do the whole time. And it doesn't look terrible. But in the U.S. with no front plate, it's just it's just really something. Um, But putting that aside, because when you're in the car and you're sitting there, you're not like, oh, you know, what does a front end look like? It's how do I look at it, right? And people aren't looking at you necessarily straight on. They're looking at you from the side. They're looking at you behind the wheel and they're looking at you and they're like, that looks like a really good car because from the side, from the back, from every angle, but straight on and down low, it is a gorgeous car. Yeah, like the profile of it is beautiful. And even with it, like with a convertible top down, top up, doesn't matter. Absolutely stunning. It's just that that aggressive grill in the front is painful. (laughs) I can't. I can't. can't. Yeah, it's it's not ideal. It's not ideal. But okay, so so you're in the car, right? And you're forgetting that you have this ugly front, but you're in the car and you're driving, and it is just so good. It is so good. It is 
honed. It is tuned. You're on the road. You, it's not like a Miata. You don't feel like you're carting around. It's not like a mini. You, you, you get into it. You're like this. This is a proper car. Yeah, because some kind of like the whole like roadster two seater thing. And I love Miatas and, you know, the old standby thing. What's the answer? The answer is Miata, like Miata, everything. It's really fun, but it does have that tiny little sort of it's 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 fun, but it doesn't feel like a proper car in many ways. This does. It feels it's got a certain weight to it. It's got a certain elegance to it. It's got a certain luxury to it. The performance is very aggressive and very strong and burly in a good way. Um, I just made it sound like it's a lumberjack, but it's great. Um, <laughs> so I, I do, I mean, driving it, when you're behind the wheel of this, you can completely forgive that there's two beaver teeth on the front. You just have to always like pull into your car, your like garage so that you don't have to look at the front when you get in your car. Yeah. Or walk out the side to your, to your, to your pull in. I totally understand that, but you're in it and you're just like, I want to drive more. Like that's the whole feeling I have every time I'm in it and I'm in it for hours and on end. You're just like, no, I want to go find a curvy road. I want to hit the gas. I want to go flying down the highway, you know, within the speed limit. But, you know, you want to do all of those things. And it's just a car that makes you want to drive more. And yes, in a world where everybody's buying SUVs and trucks, and those are fantastic. And they are. It's so nice to have a car like the 4 Series that really makes you go, yes, yes, this is what I want. And I can fit people in the back. And it's got a big trunk. And I can have it in a convertible. It delivers all of those things. Now, I do have to ask, the 4 Series is comparable to the Mercedes-Benz E-Class. Have you driven the E-Class? I feel like at some point I have, but it's a little foggy. Have you driven the E-Class? I have. And can I tell you, there is no comparison. It is. And, and you know, the 4 Series, it, it's it's right in there. It's just whatever Mercedes is doing, it's fine on power. And it's great. And I love the E63S. I mean, who doesn't like a big burly, brawny, you know, V8 engine that feels like it's a lumberjack in there, right? Like you really could, you could get up to speed, but when it comes to handling, when it comes to power to weight ratio, when it comes to balance, BMW has it at every turn. And the four series, I mean, if I had to go out and buy a car today, I would be hard pressed to get the, not get a four series. But if I didn't have four series budget, right? Because you're, I mean, you're looking at at 50k to get really i mean something really fun right so if i didn't have four series budget i would 100 go with the two series have you driven the two series nicole um yes i believe i've driven the two series i think it's maybe for like no i haven't driven the two series i don't think i have so if you've driven the old one there's a lot of similarities right so they didn't really break the wheel on this they they made the design work progressive but they did something which i think again like with the four series bmw is really good at they made it better they made it more of a driver's car. They made you want to get behind the wheel of it. And in the U.S., the 2 Series is the entry-level car. It's an affordable, you know, $40,000 car, which if you're going for a compact car, not a bad gig, right? You could totally get, you could totally spend that on that. But it's, it, it does something. So I drove it out in Thermal, California, out at the track, and then you take it, you know, up into the mountains there. And it's one of those cars, just like the 4 Series. You get in it, you want to push harder, you want to go find turns, you want to see if you can actually spin it out a little bit. You you know, you're, you're like, oh, can I drift this? How do we drift this? You know, that's <laughs> that sort of thing. Like, you really, you really want to get, get into it. And I just, you know... The four series, the two series, I'm so impressed with what they've done with those. And BMW does do a really good job of like, there's there's this thing where, you know, automakers come out with either an all new of whatever they have or just a slightly revised of whatever they have. And you're like, did you just do this because on paper it was the, you know, three years have gone by, it's time to do a mid-cycle refresh or eight years have gone by and it's time to come out with an all new. Or did you really redesign this because you had stuff that you wanted to do that improved it? And I think BMW does a pretty good job of when they do something and they've changed it up, it's an improvement. It improves on what they have. It doesn't, it doesn't take away, like we've made this thing 
worse so that we can say we gave you this feature. It's like, no, we took all the best parts of what we have and kept it. And we got rid of these couple things you didn't like and added in more things that you're really going to like. So I think they do a very good job of as they progress through their, their trim range and through their lineup that they improve things in a way that makes noticeable differences that most people will appreciate and don't detract from what the overall experience is of driving each individual vehicle. Well, and you and I have been to, you know, how many conferences where they sit there and the engineers talk about the cars, the designers talk about the cars and we go and sit in the cars and we're like, they never really sat in this. And we know they put hours in, but there's just sometimes you get in, you're like, you didn't really ever get in this. Did you like you sat behind a a whiteboard and made decisions. And I feel like even in talking with the BMW engineers and talking with the designers and the people further down the line, you feel like they actually spend time in their cars and it's thoughtful. It's thoughtful design and thoughtful redesign. And, I'm just I'm just so impressed with it. And I'm not a huge BMW fan. I don't like everything in their lineup. But those two cars, the four series and the two series, they do extremely well. And for that, on behalf of a grateful public, I say thank you. <laughs> because, <laughs> because even though I don't own one, I'm like somebody should. And people should be buying them in gobs. I don't care if you like SUVs or trucks. You should consider the four series. It's not a super duty, but um, it's a fantastic vehicle just like the two series. Right. You're actually not going to tow like your horse trailer with the four series. That's okay. Go buy a truck or an SUV or whatever it is you need to do that. Buy this because you want to have some fun and you enjoy driving and it looks pretty from every angle but the front. Right. Now, if you do want to put your family on the car and you do want to have something sporty performance, we can tell you about it right after this break. Okay, welcome back, everyone. We're going from BMW to Acura and we're going to start off with the Acura MDX which there's now like I guess I'm going to call it regular regular Acura MDX and there's the Type S Acura MDX and Eileen you had a chance to drive the Type S which is their fancy pants super performance version of not just this vehicle but other vehicles Type S means performance for Acura right so Type S is a step above traditional MDX and it's a traditional step above where you find the Acura TLX as well, right? We're seeing that Type S come back into the lineup as part of an overall scheme that that Acura is doing. Now, it doesn't compete against the M series with BMW to kind of relate back to where we were. It does compete, though, with the high horsepower powertrain, as well as the more engaging drive dynamics you get with those performance SUVs from the Germans. So went out to Napa and tried out this new higher horsepower, uh, better equipped for performance version of the MDX. Now, Nicole, you and I both agree the MDX is a fantastic three-row SUV. Yeah, just straight up, forget the performance part of the Type S. If you're just looking for a three-row SUV, you're going to like the MDX because it does this great balance of where Acura is a luxury brand. It is a luxury car, it but it has the room and the comfort for your family, but just a little bit upscale. And it's but it doesn't get so fancy. Like there's this line when you do SUVs, you have to, it's luxury. You want that luxury, but if you're going to put your toddlers in the back, that also means Cheerios and jelly and sticky fingers everywhere. So you want to feel like the car is actually going to survive the first 30 minutes that you put your kid in it. And it does feel that way with the MDX. So it does a good balance of giving what the driver wants, what a family needs and giving you this really beautiful interior that still feels like it's going to hold up to actually having your family inside of it. Yeah. And I don't know generation to generation um, if there is a better turnover in terms of accelerating what it means to be a generation of MDX um, between the 2021, the 2022 new for 2022 
um, the MDX just really pushes the bar further and faster and really makes it compete in luxury. You've got open pour woods. You have a large uh, infotainment system screen. You've, you've got all those things you want. And now with Type S, you have even more performance. So I took the Type S, pushed it on the hills through Napa. And I have to say, I was pretty impressed with it. Uh, but, you know, it's got all the handling you want. It, it does what you want, right? It, it's that step below BMW M and it, and it makes sense, right? It's exactly where it needs to be. Um, pricing's where you think it's going to be, you know, high sixties, mid seventies, right in there. And, and it, and it makes all sorts of sense, but it wasn't great in the corners. And I'm not talking about handling in the corners. I'm talking about braking. So when you're pushing it in the corners and you know this, Nicole, and I'm sure our listeners do as well, you need to push harder, right? So you're steering harder, you're accelerating harder, you're braking faster, you're later braking. And with MDX, you can't do that. Now, that might be a tall order, right? It's a three-row SUV. Right, it's not so you're, a sports sedan. <laughs> right, it's not a four-series. So there's only so much you should and want to push it in the corners. And it is worth noting in Napa and other places of California, there's a number of cyclists on the road. So you always want to be concerned about the cyclists and not be pushing too hard because it isn't a track. But should you want to, I just found that I didn't have the type of responsive braking I wanted. It was fine. It was safe. I didn't feel like I was ever going to lose control. I didn't feel like I was pushing it too hard. And I have to say I was pushing it pretty hard. But I just want more responsive braking, harder braking, the ability to have harder braking. Um, and the Type S just didn't do that for me. So, but other than that, I mean, I, when you're the driving the, the straight up the regular versions of the um, MDX, I don't remember feeling like the braking wasn't solid, but then again, I wasn't pushing it through the corners, you know, driving on a drive route in Napa. I was, you know, driving it through more normal everyday usage. Um, did you find like between the type S and just the straight up MDX, did you find the braking issue with the straight up version? You know what? I didn't. And that's when I had it, you know, I wasn't driving it in Napa and pushing it. I was driving it to the grocery store. I was driving it around my neighborhood and it was fine. And I have to say that, like, how often are you going to be pushing it through the corners in Napa or anywhere else? Probably not all that often. So if, if you're not going to be doing that, which, you know, a 99.9999% of the audience isn't, then there's no reason why you should shy away from the MDX Type S. Um, this is just a really particular scenario because quite honestly, other than that, I had no issue with it. I mean, people say they don't like the infotainment system, the way that the track, not trackpad, that's the Lexus trackpad, which we won't talk about, may it rest in peace and never be heard from again. Um, <laughs> but the 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 MDX and the way that they do the touchpad, I like it. I, I, I really do. I genuinely do. I like it, especially at night. I like not having fingerprints all over my infotainment touchscreen. See, I, um, I'm less offended by this touchpad, but I still am not a fan of the touchpad. Just give me a screen that I can put fingerprints all over. I'll take hate, the fingerprints hate, if I can just ugh. have a screen where I can, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm getting better with the touchpad thing. And it, it, they don't call, do they not call it, do they call it a touchpad? What do they officially call it? I don't even know. Touch sense, it has fancy names, you know, but I... I like the one in Acura. I despised the one in Lexus. It is better, but I, yeah, I want a touch screen. I want a touch screen. Yeah, it's not, it. it's not great. It is, I will say, I do like Acuras better than I like Lexus, obviously. Yeah. And Mercedes, the Mercedes trackpad, I do not enjoy. <laughs> Mercedes messes me up because you can do, 
it, like if you talk with your hands, you've accidentally told the system to do things. <laughs> like, BMW is the same way. You're driving along and you're having a conversation, um, even over, you know, Bluetooth, right? And you're gesturing, you're gesticulating. I, this happens, you know, when you and I chat on the phone, obviously. And I am gesticulating and I am emphatic. And then all of a sudden the volume is at 400. And I'm like, that is that is my volume and my speed all of a sudden. And I need to slow down with both. So I, uh, yeah, you know, gesture control is a whole different ball game. It's, it's, I don't particularly enjoy gesture control. I think it's one of those neat things. You think how cool it would be to just like swipe your hands back and forth and get it to do things. And then you realize how much you talk with your hands, even whether you're talking like to someone that's on the phone with you in a car or you're talking to the person next to you. It's like, yeah, this isn't working. Yeah. You know what also wasn't working for me? We stayed at this lovely resort um, called the Villaggio in Inspa, not Bellagio, like, like in Las Vegas, the Villaggio with a V. And we stayed in Yountville and I love Yountville. It is just the cutest little walkable town. I just, I, I find it so delightful. Um, but we stayed there and I stayed in quite a lovely suite. I'm going to be honest with you. It was well appointed. Um, it had, it had an infuser in it, uh, that really was very well done. Um, smelled great, but also I had to put a towel over it because it was just so strong. What was it making um, your room smell like? What did you smell like? Flowers? Fresh air, an open bottle of wine. It smelled like a mixture of lavender, aggression, and a funeral home. Oh, okay. I would have put a towel over that. (laughs) Yeah, it was just a lot. Like, it was just a lot. Like, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was like, I need to get rid of that thing. And so I I threw a towel over it, and and that was the way it was. The suite was lovely. It was larger than any apartment I ever had in college. Uh, Gorgeous, well-appointed, et cetera, et cetera. But I was laying there in bed. And I think I could hear the conversations people were having inside their cars on the road outside. Oh my gosh, that's terrible when the noise isn't well dampened in a hotel. It was just like, like the inside of an MDX is quieter than my hotel room was. <laughs> and, and that's, and, and the MDX is fine. But like, if I'm paying that amount of money for a room for a night, like if, if I was to go there, I, I would not want to stay where I could hear. Like there was a traffic accident uh, outside my room and on the highway and I could hear Everything. I could hear the radio transmissions of the firefighters who responded to the accident as I was laying in bed. And I was just like, like it ruins it, right? You're just like, this is so nice. And then no, it's just not. I wasn't at your hotel, your Villaggio Inn. I was in Palm Springs and I'm going to talk about the car that I drove there next week. But that was actually my big beef about the hotel there. It's the Parker, which is a famous Hotel in Palm Springs, in fact, it has something I just learned is called breeze block, like this blocks out front. It makes this cool wall like it looks, it's, you know, the architecture in Palm Springs is really cool. And it's this beautiful hotel. It, it's very like eclectic decor. There's a giant sign that says drugs above the fireplace. I don't know. I never saw anyone selling. So I think it was a lie. But it was this, so it's this <laughs> interesting hotel. And it, like my room had a very 70s vibe. There was like a macrame llama on the wall. I'm, I'm seriously. Oh, yeah. It was like a big that's tapestry. A choice. Yeah. Right. Not my choice. Their choice. But I can get like the quirky hotel. That, that was fine. Even the carpet that looked out of the shining. OK, I can get by that. But my room had windows entirely along one wall. And those windows, I could hear the fountain out front as if it was like I left the faucet running in the bathroom or something. But it was so loud. And then traffic. I know exactly when traffic gets moving in Palm Springs, because as soon as it did, you could hear the traffic out front. So I don't know if it'd be quieter if I was in other parts of the hotel, because there's this whole sort of garden situation in the back. Maybe if you got that end of things, it's good. But if you have the pretty room at the front with a little mini balcony that overlooks the fountain, 
You're not sleeping. That's the exact same way I was. So I was in Las Vegas last week and I stayed at the Wynn and I could hear every ounce of conversation the people next to me were having into the night and then their nighttime activities I got to hear as well, um, which was, you know, I, I didn't I didn't ask for that. That wasn't a feature or an enhancement to the package that we purchased. Also, like as much as it's their responsibility to understand that everybody can hear around us. Right. So it, not just my neighbors at the wind, but anywhere else we go. Um, when you're in a hotel, you need to be cognizant of the people that are staying next to you and not yell and scream at each other or, you know, yell or scream and other activities too loud. Um, but also like when I take phone calls for work, you know, sometimes I'm on speakerphone or when I'm talking to my husband, I don't want to have to worry about whether or not people next to me are going to hear or sometimes like Nicole and I you were taking you and I are taking presentations that are under embargo or off the record and talking to sources and there's things we need to kind of keep in hand and I like to stay at a hotel that ensures that my privacy within my room is secure and not just because I'm huddled underneath a comforter having a conversation on the bed where I'm hoping it dampens the sound, which is a visual none of you need. Yeah, it's but it's happened. You underestimate how important it is to have a quiet hotel room until you don't. And then you think, oh, this is an important thing. Everyone needs to focus on this. I don't care how fancy this is. I don't need to know what everybody in this entire hotel is up to at this minute. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I will say that when I was in Yountville, I went to Bouchon, which is famous bakery associated with the infamous The French Laundry, as we now know it today because of COVID. Um, and also because Thomas Keller is an amazing chef. Um, went there, amazing, 100% recommend it, recommend stopping by. And then we also went to this place called Brasswood Cellars, which I know you and I like a bottle of wine, but we stopped at Brasswood Cellars and it's really cool. I mean, the winery itself is beautiful. The landscape is beautiful. Parking's easy. All those things you want. But they also have a wine cave there that goes deep into the hills. And when we were there, we were told that they have wine incubation areas where people can come in who maybe have wineries in Napa or elsewhere And they can actually make their own small batches of wine where they test out things they want to do and flavors and vintages and all that sort of stuff. And I was just, that's just so cool. So is this like Like, a regular person could do this or just people who have other vineyards that need a place where they can? I am under the impression that it is people who own other wineries and maybe don't have the capacity at their current winery to actually have these little experiments throughout the time. It was really cool. Yeah. And they were mentioning like um, cake bread has a place there, has like a slot or barrels or whatever you want to call it. Um, But there are people working there, you know, in the lab and fermentation tanks. And it was just really cool. Like, I'm like, that's, you go to a winery, you say the same stuff, you drink wine. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But just this added layer of what else they have there was just really cool. And I really enjoyed it. Oh, that's neat. Now I have to go to that. We have to find our way there one time when we're up in that area again. I have confidence we'll be back in Napa soon. So what else we like? We like driving on the track at Sonoma Raceway. So why don't we talk about that when we get back from break? Okay, we're back and now we're going to a racetrack. We're going to go to Sonoma, which is... Uh, it's uh, I think that's my favorite place to go on a track. I just really like the track there. It has a nice combination of a little bit of elevation and sharp turns and it, it, straightaway is great. I just love, I love this track. It's one of my favorite tracks. I happen to drive some Hyundai products out there, the Kona N and the Elantra N. And much like things that say Type S for Acura mean that they're the performance focused versions of their vehicles. If there's an N and it's a Hyundai, it means that it's a performance focused version of Hyundai. And the kind of neat thing about that, they're fun cars. They're, they're fun little cars driving a track. But I love the Kona in particular just because it looks like this little crossover. It's sort of this cute little fun little unassuming crossover. And you can take it on the track and that thing's a hoot. 
And I think it's partly that the Hyundai is, they've done such a good job with their N lineup. I think it's partly that that track is just fantastic. The track is fantastic. It's like two and just a shy of, I think, a half mile. So it's about 2.3 miles of um, just fun. It's a great track. It's it, it's a good track to drive on. It's not an easy track to drive on, but that's the whole point, right? Like you don't want to just go, if you want to go around in a circle, we'd be driving in Talladega all day. And Talladega is not an easy track to drive. I've been there. It, it's tough, right? But the whole point of Sonoma is that it's tough. It's fun. It's got great elevation. It is is a cool track to drive. It's certainly an iconic raceway. And I, I'm curious, Nicole. So I drove the Elantra N in prototype form back when they launched the Elantra originally, I guess, Oh, November of 2020, I want to say somewhere around there. And so I drove it and, you know, I don't know if you drove it when we were doing that, but I did find that the contrast, right? So you've got this Elantra, great new generation, bang for your buck off the walls, right? Like it's $20,000. You get a heck of a vehicle for $20,000, but up to 23, 24, you get even more of a deal. It feels like one of the best deals you can buy right now in terms of advanced tech, handling, seating, comfort, style, all of that combined. So how does the N enhance that? What does it make better? First of all, it looks like it's supposed to be sporty. Like they get neat trim accents and you look at it and you don't think to yourself like, oh, this is just another mild Leonard sedan. It has this unique look to it that gives you the expectation it's going to be a little bit more fun to drive. And it is. And pricing comes up. There's still, there's a huge number of standard features in there. It gets a very aggressive uh, turbocharged engine. It's a two liter, four cylinder, 276 horsepower. And- and, and, and you can either get an eight speed dual clutch automatic, or for those of you who know how to drive one, you can do a six speed manual transmission. Is that the same DCT that's in the Veloster? Because the Veloster's wet clutch is amazing. Honestly, not sure if it's the same one, but it is fantastic. So here's the thing. Sometimes, you know, if you're like a manual guy, you're like, I drive manuals because manuals are amazing and they are really fun. And you don't necessarily want to drive an automatic because you feel like you lose that little bit of control. And if you're really, you know, really into the performance of a vehicle, every last little bit of control you can eke out in terms of deciding exactly when you want to shift is important. But the dual clutch automatic in this thing was amazing. I never felt like, oh, no, it's not shifting when I want it to shift. It was it was fantastic. So it's this very aggressive, exhilarating car to drive. So it's, it adds power. It adds, it adds the performance experience that you don't necessarily have quite that aggressive performance experience in the rest of the lineup, even in terms of how it handles. It's a little bit tighter. It's a little bit more well-grounded. It's a little bit more controlled braking. You'll be happy to hear Eileen. Fantastic. No problems. (laughs) (laughs) So braking was quite good, but the nice thing about this, and this is a trick and Hyundai really deserves some credit for this. If you make cars that are, you know, it's still a sedan, right? You're not taking it to the track every day. And most people probably aren't taking it to the track at all to be realistic. You want it to have that aggression, but you also don't want it to feel like it's going to like jostle the fillings right out of your teeth. The minute you hit a slightly pebbled road surface, or if you hit that pothole that you missed, or just it's uneven pavement because the endless construction that exists everywhere, this car manages to still be smooth. You don't feel like you'll feel it. You you know, you know, you're in a performance vehicle that's on rough pavement, but it's never harsh enough that you think, oh, I picked the wrong car to drive on this road. I call that the sports broadcast. Can I go to the track, 
be comfortable and and have the girls be comfortable right there alongside me, right? Like it's, it's, it's the full body experience. If you feel like you wore your everyday bra and it was the wrong choice, then the car's a little bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, and there's some cars we get into, like there's some fantastic handling cars out there that you get into and you're like, am I riding in a car or I'm actually on the pavement and the pavement's just attached to the wheels? As much as the fun as those cars are on the track, you still have to daily it. I mean, there's very few people out there who have a car just for the track. So that's really important. Yeah, if you do good for you, that's fine. But for most people, not at all the case. So if you want something that's going to give you that little taste of performance without being requiring a sports bra, <laughs> the Elantra N does it. <laughs> so you drove that at Sonoma. I just drove the Acura NSX Type S at Sonoma. And the NSX, like the MDX, like the TLX Type S, enhanced performance, right? NSX is going away, which makes me really sad. Um I love the NSX. Oh, I love driving that thing. But the NSX Type S. So we were out on the track um, with Ryan Eversley, famed performance driver, and did a little lead follow with him. And I have to say, I Ryan, I, I have questions for you. One of which is, why did you not let me go over 100 miles an hour? Be- I, I I take umbrage with the fact that I had to ride his tail and I still was not permitted to go as fast as I wanted to go. Um, which, you know, like, it's a track drive, right? It's lead follow. You know, we're not always out there let loose on the track. Some manufacturers allow us to be let loose a little bit more than others. Um, but there are portions of Sonoma that allow you to get up above 100. And I would very much like the opportunity to take advantage of that. And unfortunately, in the NSX Type S, that was not something. But I mean, it's a day in the NSX Type S. So it's not a bad day by any stretch of the imagination. No matter what speed you're going, if you have an NSX to drive, it is a good day. Yeah, even if you're at zero, if you're sitting at a traffic light, like you still, you're still having a great day. You're still day. happy that you're stuck at a red light because NSX. <laughs> right, right. So, so yeah, so had that on the track, even at 98, 99, 100 even, I really, I wanted better braking. And I like the NSX. I've, I drove it in Ohio at Honda HQ and it's it was great there. But like this Type S, like I feel like if you want to push it and you want to really push it and like I just wanted stronger braking and that is what it is, right? I mean, they've only are making so many and they're already sold out. They were sold out within minutes. So anyone who's going to drive it at the track is going to beef it up anyway um, if they want more braking. But that's just that's kind of where Acura is right now. And I don't know why. Um, but just be better, Acura. Be better. Better breaking. No, that has to be I a know. conversation next Acura event we do, Eileen. I know. Do we need to put in a call? I feel like we can put in a call. I feel like we like, can find In order guy. to satisfy us, uh, the only two people that matter in the world. Exactly. Please do this. The only <laughs> thing that you're really looking breaks, for. Because we're not happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you're not, we like to disrupt millions of dollars of your supply chain. <laughs> just because we have breaks. a problem with your breaking. Because <laughs> that's totally how this works. Yeah. All right. So let's talk. Let's talk at the flip side. We'll talk about tracks we love, F1, and where we're going next. So in our little performance episode here, one of the things we get to do is drive on a lot of tracks. I've already said Sonoma is my favorite track. I like where it is. I like visiting it. I like that it has a nice balance of technical and not too technical because I like driving on a track and it's fun, but I'm not someone who goes and, uh, you know, goes to a track every weekend. That's just not my, not my thing, but I do enjoy my time on it. And I find that this is Sonoma is a good one because you don't, 
you can enjoy it and you can push a vehicle. And if you really are that track driver and you want to go nuts, you want to go crazy, go nuts. That's fine. You can do that. But if you're just really trying to enjoy yourself and push a car further than you could push it on a highway where there are speed limits that need to be followed, Sonoma is a fantastic track to play around with that. What, what's your favoriteest track of all the tracks, Eileen? My mostest favoriteest track is probably Big Willow. Big Willow. Big Willow. I love going to Willow Springs Raceway. I think that is probably my favorite. They have it. So you come out of you come out of this straight away. You go down turn one. It's a nice, good turn in. And then you hit turn two. And it's this big sloping uphill. And it's just technical. And it's just, it's just great. You can feel the G's on your body. You can just hold the wheel because it's this perfect curve. And you're just... Oh, it's just so good. And then the same thing, like going into the straightaway on the other side, you have that same sort of turn and you've got elevation and you've got technical stuff, but it's not too technical. It's not too much elevation. And it's just, I just love that track. I, 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 anytime somebody calls me and says, do you want to go to Big Willow? The answer is yes. You can have me, you could have me drive a Mitsubishi Mirage out there and I would still enjoy my day. I would curse, but I would still enjoy my day. So that's, that's my number one track. Um, but I do like, like you were saying with Sonoma, right? For the elevation changes and technicality, Atlanta Motorsports Park, um, just outside of Atlanta in Dawsonville, Georgia, by Bill Elliott's uh, home and Chase Elliott's home, um, is very good, very good. Um, and it has a turn that kind of mirrors Laguna Seca. And those those are two, you know, that's a good track. Laguna Seca is a fantastic track, too. It is a too. good track, yes. Uh, you know what? Weirdly, there is a track here. And technically, it's a it's a private members club. So should you ever have openings to get into one of their events? Or sometimes the OEMs do stuff here. I know that Dodge has done some stuff up here, and so his Jeep. But there is a, believe it or not, a motorsports park in New Hampshire that has a fantastic track. It's literally just called Club Motorsports. But it's so cool because they have these crazy elevations because it's in the middle of the White Mountains in New Hampshire. So not only is the scenery beautiful and you have to make sure, look at the track, look at the track, look at the track, because it's like, ooh, it's so pretty. But the elevation and the way they've used that with the turns they've done, one of my favorite tracks. So I've only ever had a chance to drive it for events, but they they apparently do sometimes have various private events, but it is like a, a club that you could join and it's in a beautiful location. So that is one of my favorite, nobody's ever heard of it in their entire lives before tracks but it's amazing so i have one of those too so we were out at the dodge srt program i want to say two years ago do you remember that they did durango hellcat mm-hmm. durango srt hellcat and that and we took the chargers and challengers and we went down to carolina motorsports park yes. south of charlotte and it's a flat track and it's got lots of turns and lots of things going on and it's a great track. If you're gonna if you're gonna go for a flat track, it's yes. a great track. The nerd in me really wants to take some Mini Coopers out there. Oh, that would be fun. Well, really, you could take because Mini it's Coopers it's fun. Anywhere. It's got so many turns yeah. and it's flat, and you can't really go like super fast. But like in a bunch of minis, especially if we can get some vintage ones. Oh my god, I would just like I just I want to do that. Like so that's is this a place your bucket list go. thing? You somehow have to get minis out on the track. You must. Yeah, like I want to get like eight Mini Coopers on the Carolina <laughs> Motorsports Park. Okay, Mini, we'll if you're that, listening, like this is your opportunity to we'll, step right up. We'll put that on. I the feel like list. that's what you should be doing. So okay, I'm game. And also, so <laughs> a note on driving on the track: something that you'll find if you do track driving, or if you um, you know ride a motorcycle and wear your helmet, which you should. Um, Wearing sunglasses so that you can see and there's no glare, two things happen. You try to put your sunglasses on and you can't fit them in your helmet. 
Uh, you fit them in your helmet, and then when you take them off, they're now bent in a way that requires a trip to a professional because no matter how much you try and bend them back, you have ruined them, and they are crooked on your face. Um, or you just can't get them on at all, and then you're doing the, like the squinty thing. So I found this, this company called Flying Eyes Sunglasses. They make sunglasses that have super, super thin frames. Like it's very thin, very flexible. The part that goes behind yours, just forgot what you call it, that goes along the side of your head. And they're made for people who wear helmets. Like they did them originally, like if you're a pilot or you have, you know, gear on your head. And I wore them in the Rebel Rally, which is days and days and days of wearing your helmet all the time in the desert. And I never got that little squishy headachey thing or little like weird eyeglass prints on the sides of my skull from having a helmet on with sunglasses for eight hours. So if you're someone who thinks you're driving on a track or drives often with a helmet in any kind of conditions, you should really check them out. This is just, this isn't a promo thing. This is just me. I love their glasses and sunglasses. And I think everybody should have a really good pair of sunglasses on the track and check out flying eyes. They even have these different like lenses. They recommended lenses for the event I was doing. I was in the desert and they're like, Oh, these are really good. Cause they help with the whiteness and the glare off of sand. I'm like, okay, fine. Put them in. They were amazing. Yeah. I, the sunglasses are so important when you're on the track, right? So I have a pair of Smith optics glasses that I wear. And I bought them because I wear Smith goggles when I ski and I could get them with the exact same blackness and anti-glare that I could get there. But they're, I only bought them because they're really thin and I can kind of slide them. And you're still like, you're doing this weird dance where you're like, you're doing, oh, it's going to make a sound effect. But it's like, eat or eat or eat or trying to like squeeze them back in between the foam on either right. side. And every speak. time, and then inevitably, no matter how hard I try to make it not happen, I pull my helmet off and the glasses go flying across the car. Expletives come out of my mouth. And then everybody just kind of looks at me like, yeah, that's what she did. Yeah. So that's, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, glasses are so important and good glasses are important. And I have seen you like the flying eyes, uh, Lynn Woodward over at, at Edmonds, mm -hmm. KBB. I don't remember KBB. which one she's oh, at. Oh God, I forgot. I know right now she's running a rally in Saudi Arabia. She's running Rally Jamil out in uh, out in Saudi Arabia. And she is wearing them. I saw on yes. her Insta, she's wearing them. Yeah. But yeah, so Lynn loves them too. And so I think they're really cool. I will probably invest in a pair here. They're They're not cheap no, by any but stretch. But if you're, if it's your, somebody who does track driving a lot or even somebody who sits on your glasses, you know, like that sort of thing. Like that's, that's a thing. I well, and it's like they're, that. they're expensive, but they're not crazy expensive. Like you're going to go to the, I don't know, sunglass store and you're going to buy like a brand name sunglasses. They're in that brand name sunglasses realm, you know? So you're not going to get away with buying, a, you know, a $10.99 pair of sunglasses. But if you're buying, like Brandon can think of Ray-Bans or something, you're going to spend a couple hundred dollars on glasses. You're going to do the same thing for these, but they're not just, you know, you wouldn't drive your car not being able to see and be comfortable and have the sun glare out of your eyes. If you're going to do track driving, have something that will keep you from squinting as you're trying to look down the track. Speaking of Ray-Bans, there are three types of people that look good in Ray-Bans. Okay. Pilots. Yes. Race car drivers. Yes. And cops. Yes. So let's talk about race car drivers. Okay, race car drivers. Let's start with that. <laughs> we're, we're not going to rate them. We're not going to rate them. We're not going to be like, oh my God, Daniel Ricardo. Oh my yeah. God. How are his um, sunglasses? How are his sunglasses? <laughs> but let's talk about Drive to Survive. Everybody's watching Drive to, Drive to Survive, except you. I know. Nicole, why are you not watching Drive okay, to Survive? Okay, you know what? You didn't know who Indiana Jones was. I haven't watched Drive to Survive. I'm going to fix that problem. Are you going to fix yours? Just saying. I, I mean, I can. I can be compelled to watch Indiana Jones. I feel like, Nicole, you need to shoot my husband a text because he will make it a priority in my life um, to make sure that gets on the calendar. Because he will be like, finally, mm -hmm. 
Are you are you doing it right now? Right now, yeah. Go ahead. I don't know if he's busy. Hopefully he's not, because I'm going to send him a text right now. But go ahead. I mean, it's you. It would not surprise him in the least. Um, but yeah, so I will make that a priority. Um, but what also, so priority for F1, Drive to Survive, boosting audiences left and right, not just worldwide, but in America as well. More people are loving F1 than ever before. And it's great. I think it's great. I mean, right? So more more cars, more enthusiasts, younger cars, younger enthusiasts. Um, and they're not switching from NASCAR. These are people who are either never have been interested in racing before or are taking in more than one series. And we have some great car racing series here in the U.S. that aren't F1 and that aren't NASCAR that people have heard of called IMSA. And it's 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 fantastic. Different classes of cars, prototype cars. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Um, IMSA is really interesting. If you're, you know, there's there's all these different types of cars racing on the track at once. So it's not that you have, you know, one standard stock car like you have in NASCAR or a specific F1 car. You've got, you know, three or four different types of vehicles racing all at the same time from different manufacturers that have been customized to fit the teams. And IMSA racing is really interesting. You know, they go to some of the biggest tracks. But I was talking to their CEO last year and he was telling me one of the things they're trying to do is try and figure out how to make IMSA kind of ride that popularity wave and grab some of people who are now interested in F1 and who may have been interested in racing in the past and really get them to the track for IMSA racing. And I will say this, one of the things that IMSA has going for it is that its races are much more personal. So you can get down into the, not into the pits, but you can walk around and see the different setups the different companies have when they're racing. You, you can see the cars being worked on. You can do all that as a fan, you don't have to buy a special ticket. You don't have to. You, you're right there. You're in it. You're immersed in it. You can walk down by the track. You can go to the fan fest they have and meet drivers. You can do all those things. And it's not as pretentious as F1. It's not, you know, NASCAR might get a bad rap, but it's different than NASCAR. NASCAR is very manufactured. I feel like I feel like the whole manufactured experience. IMSA isn't like that. IMSA is very homegrown. It feels like you can personally be a part of the experience. And I love that about IMSA. So one of the things they're trying to do, like I said, is to kind of ride this wave. And with that, it comes, you know, how do they get people to the track? Because, you know, during COVID, IMSA was one of the first races that really went live and was still going on. And people were out in the open, big, wide open fields, open space, room to mix and mingle. You could maintain your social distance and still enjoy a sporting event. That was cool. They really capitalized on that. But to go further and to go faster, IMSA is trying to figure out, you know, like how what's the attraction there? So one of the things they're doing um, is working with manufacturers to try and get, you know, car reveals and different types of activations that are different than what you see anywhere else. That's neat. And I think, you know, if you haven't if you even if you aren't someone who's hugely into, you know, motorsports, you don't really have to be a giant fan to go to a track and watch a race and truly enjoy yourself. It's a little bit like I'm not a huge sports fan in general, but I went to a football game with my best friend and I know enough about football. I get what's happening, moving the ball down the field. Yay, go sports ball. But to go to the event and to experience it and to sort of see things live and see how it works and the fans around you that are doing, it's the same way when you go to a track and you watch things. Fans are so excited. There's a sense of camaraderie. And if you don't know, if you don't quite follow something's happening or something's going on. It's great to have people, everybody around you is going to tell you, no, 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 this is what happened. This is what's going on. This driver and that driver have had a thing and they've, you know, so, you know, you learn so much and there, it is an interesting thing to see it all live. If you watch things on a TV screen after going to an actual race, suddenly it's like, wow, this is kind of dry and not as exciting. But when you're there, 
in the thick of it, it's a really amazing experience to attend a race live. One of my very favorite things I've ever done in terms of being at a race is watching the sunset at Road Atlanta and the IMSA race. It's usually the last race of the year for Petit Le Mans. And there, you know, you switch from having cars racing all day long and then you go to nighttime. So the lights start to come on, the sunsets, colors come up, the headlights on the cars come on because they're actually functional in IMSA racing. And, um, it's just beautiful. Like, it's just one of those moments you're like, yes, this is what I'm here for. And the team that wins goes under the, uh, they win under the lights. It's just so cool. Like, it's it's a total nerd experience. But also, if you're not a nerd, and it, well, I mean, we're all nerds deep down about something. But if you're not a car nerd, you can still really enjoy it. And it's still really cool. And it's fun to see. And um, I just, I just kind of love it. And also, so it's not just IMSA, right? So we've got these other series. We've got Formula E. We've got, you've been to a Formula E race, I right, did. Nicole? I went to a Formula E race in Brooklyn, New York, and it was, it's surreal because you don't hear like, when you go to like a NASCAR race, you've kind of won earplugs at certain places because it is so loud. It's too loud. And you know, when you go inside, it's still loud. And that's, but then you go to Formula E and it's like, just a little buzzing noise that you hear occasionally. Like, it's very weird to see them flying along and it's just like, so Formula E is all electric cars. Yes, it's and all so that's electric. kind of future, right? You get you get, you get the you get the the no roar, yes. but you do get a little wine, and sometimes wine. a lot of wine. Sometimes a lot, but it's just so weird. It's it feels very Star Trek to me. Like this is how are these how are these cars going so fast and they're so quiet? It's very cool. So I really like that, and I've been to a couple of NASCAR races. In fact, you're talking about the lights going down, or the sun going down in that moment. The same kind of stand on your feet thing. I was in a NASCAR race. It was like going, 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 and at the very last you know, lap as everybody sort of jockeys to get their final position in the couple cars, bump fenders, and we're all like on our feet and screaming. And I'm not even an NASCAR fan, but just to see it happen, you have this like, oh my gosh, did you see what just happened? It's so it's, it's very fun. There are moments it's enjoyable. The, who you're with is a lot of the fun, but the experience itself, you kind of have to let yourself be a fan and sort of be immersed in the event and just go with it. And it's a great time. So you and I are going in a few weeks to the Long Beach Grand Prix. Yes. Which is exciting. Very we're going to be in California. Exciting. We're going to be there for almost an entire week doing some other different drives that you guys are hearing about soon. Am I allowed to um, say what company it is? There's no embargo in that. Is there? Should I not? No, Should I think I? we can say we're going with Toyota. Okay. I'm calling we're it Toyota, Toyota Palooza. Toyota's gotten into the habit of doing these things. And instead of the traditional like three-day launch, it's like, we own you for a week. You're like, oh. Okay, Toyota Palooza part two. So, <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot there. And I'll be coming back from just being in Sardinia, Italy. So I will be jet lagged to all belief. And you and I will be in a car together. So we'll be yeah. having all sorts of punchy fun. Oh, but, all um, sorts of punchy fun. And adventure, because yeah. we have some free time and there will be much adventure during our little bit of free day time that we have. We're going to go see it. We're going to see an old friend who's recently come back to the US. So that'll be exciting. Yes. But then we'll also be seeing a brand new car. There's a new Toyota they're going to unveil. Yes. Hopefully. Which they're going to unveil it during the race at the Grand Prix. So kind of, you know, you guys get an idea of what that's going to be. Nicole and I actually know what it's going to be, but we can't tell you right now. Um, but I'm really excited about that. I think it's really it's really cool that we're doing and seeing these vehicle debuts outside of an auto show because we haven't really had too many auto shows lately. So it's nice to see kind of the expansion of the wings and see where we're going with that. Yeah, it's neat to take things because auto shows are a cool experience, but they can be um overwhelming just because you can't see all the things you want to see and all the reveals that you want to get to. And the events go past the auto show hours for media 
we have our own special days where they end at five and this person has an event here and that person has an event there and they're 45 minutes across town and they're only 10 minutes apart. It gets kind of frenetic. So it's nice to have reveals that let you um, actually see what it is, take pictures of what it is, learn what it is and share with you guys what it is rather than having to rush to share 50 things with you at once. Absolutely. So I mentioned I'll be coming back from Italy, but before that, I'm going to Spain yes. to go drive the Edison Aria, yes. their new electric SUV. And we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm going to Sardinia to drive the new Aston Martin DBX 707, which I'm very excited about. Anything with Aston Martin and 700 horsepower, sign me up. I am there in a heartbeat. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care that it's a 24-hour flight day for me. Mm-hmm. I am going, darn it. Exactly. I am absolutely going. Well, and then, I, Nicole, we're, you're going to something I was supposed to go to, but had to take the trip to Italy instead. Because somebody had to do it. So I have, I'm just all electric all the time. Um, I'm going to have the Grand Cherokee 4xe um, that I'm driving next week. I'm also driving the Mazda CX-50. Um, so I've got, and then I'm going to California and then California to Austin and then Austin, um, off on a family adventure actually for the weekend. Um, but yeah, so we have both have drives, completely different drives all over. We're covering the world <laughs> next week. We really are. So Grand Cherokee four by E that is the electrified. That's the plug-in hybrid yes. Grand Cherokee. I know you and I have both driven the regular Grand Cherokee. I'm really excited to see and hear about what you think about Grand Cherokee 4xE. Yes. I'm, and then I'm the excited. Mazda CX-50 is, what is that? That's the new SUV that Mazda's trying their, to get us to buy? It's their first ever CX-50, and it's a new SUV slash crossover, crossover slash SUV. And apparently they have this, they, we're talking about just trying to get ourselves out there for the program, and they were, it was, it's complicated and like well it's complicated because we have very many things that we need you to experience this isn't a traditional drive program there's more to this than you know dum 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 but they didn't say what so i'm i'm curious to see what they're what they want to show us that makes this different why would you want to buy this i mean we're saying it like it's sarcastic why do you want to buy this but just like why what's their why and i don't know what their why is yet yeah, that'll be interesting. I'm interested to see what you think of that. Um, you're going to Santa Barbara, which is one of our favorite cities. Yes. Uh, to go visit. So I am a little jealous of that, but we'll be back there in the fall. So that's a different story. But um, yeah, so we'll tell everybody all about it next time. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.